Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. I'm pleased to report that the UCLA Anderson forecast this week completed a reforecast of the U.S. and California economies, as well as an in-depth assessment of both residential and commercial real estate including the back-to-the-office trends that I think you'll find most interesting and relevant for your investment accounts. This link to the video for the Anderson forecast is included in the webcast SoundCloud site. I'll warn you that the link has a set of presentations that go a bit over three hours, but you can sort through it pretty quickly and find out if you really want to focus on the U.S. economy, the California economy, the commercial real estate markets, or a segment which is very interesting on the return to the office trends. Importantly contributed by Gensler, one of the world's largest office design firms. You won't be disappointed. This is the totality of the Anderson forecast meeting a few days ago. I think you'll find it well worth your while if you spend time on the segments or even the total forecast video. Finally, today, I'm adding the specific real estate segment analyses of Hoya Capital, as well as a link to their comprehensive assessment. So today, it is a jam-packed focus on the economy and the role that real estate plays in the economy with new data on employment and unemployment issues. Our podcast will keep within our normal time constraints, but I'm making a lot of information freely available to you, so I really hope you take advantage of it. Let's start with employment, progress, and issues in the U.S. as well as California. The good news is that the economy continues to reward those who have kept up with technology's impact on their careers. The not-so-good news is that many who lost jobs in their consumer-facing jobs in the past year and a half, and importantly, hospitality, restaurants, retailing, traditional sales roles will continue to struggle to get reemployed. There are more than 15 million people still receiving federal and state unemployment benefits, with many of these benefits expiring this summer. I think of it as a barbell economy. At the other end of the barbell, there are many who find it truly difficult to re-enter the workforce expecting a living wage, and this number has increased really substantially in the past year or two. Those struggling will have to overcome not only the job issues, but large rent increases, which are happening now, and much higher food prices for food and other consumer items. A few words about the price inflation. Overall, the U.S. economy and California are expected to report high growth the balance of this year and next. And keep in mind, high growth is measured on the basis of the market value of goods and services. So if the price of all goods and services in a year go up by 10%, economic growth will show a 10% increase. That's not to say that real growth has occurred, but the measure of economic growth has occurred. And as mentioned in prior podcasts, importantly in the U.S. in recent years, that's been the result of price increases, even during COVID. The threat of recession has given way to the threat of high inflation. 
Let me say that again. We can be less worried about a recession or depression, but we're going to be more and more worried about high inflation, particularly those who are on the lower income scales of the U.S. economy. Their job prospects are dimmer than they were a couple of years ago, and the products that are really ramping up in price now are importantly products that they rely upon, including rent. So we thank in large part the Federal Reserve, who has continued to hold down short-term interest rates, maintaining them close to zero, and a continuation of our record government spending programs and record deficits. Everybody can ask themselves at one point or many times, can this apparent prosperity continue for many years? My answer is absolutely not. However, it does look to continue for the next year and maybe a bit longer. Yes, we've entered a long period where prosperity is dependent on higher and higher government debt and more money printing by the Fed. It's now predictable, in my opinion, that the Fed, over the next year or two, will buy even more government debt with more dollars from their digital and physical printing presses. And the government is totally dependent on the Fed to continue doing this. We, with our low interest rates, continue to take advantage of the Fed printing money short-term by keeping interest rates close to zero, the short-term rates. This is not healthy. It cannot maintain itself long-term, but that's the way it will likely go for the rest of this year and maybe through next year. In total, the Fed and ballooning government debt have saved us from a depression, and that's really a good thing. But I'm sure that many out of a job or in retirement did not expect the thousands of dollars given to them over the past year or so. These amounts are moving into the trillions of dollars flowing from the federal government to consumers and even to businesses by loan guarantees. And these trillions of dollars of dollars and guarantees have pretty directly added to both the spending savings and stock market increases. And the result of a lot of this activity, as I mentioned, is high inflation that's already hitting many of our supply chains. Copper and lumber prices have increased substantially over the past year or two, and now home prices are increasing substantially to pass that price increase on. Electric car batteries are set for large increases, as nickel and cobalt prices have increased significantly this year, and they continue to do so. Shipping rate increases to bring more imports to the United States. Unfortunately, exports from the United States are not growing much, if at all. So the one-way shipping from Asia, importantly, the shipping rates are up by some multiple over a couple of years ago. But for those who want to ship and can ship from the United States to Asia, not so much of an impact. Food prices are rapidly moving up as corn, wheat, soybeans, and other agricultural commodities have already substantially increased. Restaurant and hotel prices are climbing as those with higher savings want to eat out and travel. Movie and airline prices will join this up price parade soon. Apartment rents have been constrained over the past year, year and a half by legislation, as well as a moratorium on evictions, but now that's changing rapidly as the nation's largest apartment and homeowners are going for 10% or higher increases now. And if you check the Hoya real estate link I've provided, you'll see a lot of specifics on where that's happening and the companies that are implementing the increases. As covered in prior podcasts, actual Inflation is far higher than that officially reported. It's actually two or three times higher, in my view, for reasons we've covered. 
In brief, as the official inflation rate moves past 3% from its 1% to 2% range, and it's already moved past 3% recently, well on the way to 4%, the actual inflation can be expected to ramp up close to 10% annually. That's for more than one year, in my view. The Fed says the new inflation is only transitory, but what else could they say? They must keep creating large amounts of new money to buy the government's issuance of new and growing amounts of debt. They don't have any choice unless they decide to bring back the depression scenario that worried many in the COVID lockdown economy. All in all, the Anderson forecast sees high growth and a continuation of low historical rates, although the low rates will be a bit higher next year than they are today. They're expecting the 10-year Treasury note, which is now about 1.6% yield, to move up above 2% next year. They also see employment continuing to increase, but with higher productivity per person, the U.S. workforce is going to be in more of a gradual improvement mode over the next couple of years. I think we've already seen the part that's the snapback. Residential real estate will maintain its healthy moderate growth given that overbuilding is not a national issue as it was back in the 08-09 Great Recession. The commercial real estate market continues to be defined, importantly, by different segments, marching to the beat of different drums. For example, brick-and-mortar retailing will continue to meet the increasing challenge of online ordering and delivery, just as was the case before COVID. Warehousing and other supply chains storage companies may remain healthy. The large regional shopping centers may be healthier than generally expected as shoppers move back to their eating, movie-going, and shopping. Experiences with online ordering and returning merchandise looking more favorable than staying homebound. If you do take advantage of the Anderson video link provided, I suspect you'll appreciate the thoughtfulness of future office space design and usage. Many surveys indicate that about one quarter of office workers actually want to return to the office four or more days a week. Another quarter want to maintain 100% remote or close to 100% working from home, with about a half preferring a hybrid or combination of office and home. The head of Gensler, I mentioned, one of the largest global office design firms, speaks for the future, arguing that many companies are planning for a substantial workforce return to the office starting about now. If you access the Hoya link, you'll find that some real estate segments look highly investable right now, and some should continue to be avoided. For example, the large corporate owners of housing and apartment complexes in medium-sized cities are looking to be preferred investments, and we mentioned that actually in a podcast almost six months ago, I'm happy to say. I would imagine many don't know the names of the public companies that each own tens of thousands of houses that they purchased during the 08-09 Great Recession and thereafter. Some of these companies look to be very interesting investments based on Hoya citing the recent rent increases, their high occupancy, and their relatively high shareholder dividends. It's worth a look, although I'm not making a specific investment recommendation on this podcast. In brief, there's no more free rent ahead of us. Renters will receive an unwelcome surprise with the next renewal offer as rents across the country are suddenly surging at the fastest rate in the past half decade or so. 
The demographic and pandemic-driven boom in household formations has clashed with record-low housing supply to push housing prices higher across ownership and rental markets. The vaccine rollout has halted the urban exodus and stabilized rental rates in the coastal markets. Sunbelt and suburban markets, meanwhile, are reporting record high rates of rent growth. After lagging in 2020, the real estate investment trusts that own apartments have gained nearly 30%. And again, I'm happy we mentioned this uh, well before that happened for your benefit. And that has been boosted by a slate of strong first quarter earnings results with actually seven of the 10 apartment REITs raising their full year earnings guidance. Apartment REITs aren't the bargains that they were in late 2020, but valuations to Hoya appear compelling as rent growth catches up with home values amid a backdrop of persistently low housing supply and pretty robust demand. The Case-Shiller Home Price Index data about a week ago, actually it's about two weeks ago, showed that home values soared 13.2% over a March year-to-year, the 10th straight month of sequentially accelerating home prices and the highest annual gain since 2005. The FHFA Home Price Index, meanwhile, showed a 13.9% jump in home values, the highest single month on record. The house price-to-rent ratio climbed to the highest level since 2009 in the first quarter, suggesting that despite the recent rebound, rents still have a long way to go before fully catching up with the ongoing strength across the broader housing industry. And in the Hoya link I've provided, you can see a graph that shows the year-to-year multifamily rents for the past 10 years, and it also shows the trend of home prices. They are again concluding that real estate investment trusts, at least the segment of real estate investment trusts that own apartment buildings and and homes, are well worth a look now from Hoya. The magnitude of the decline in rents and the magnitude of the recovery is really apparent in the markets that have been heavily hit during the COVID lockdowns. For example, San Francisco saw a 26.6% plunge in rents March to January 21, but rents from January through May of this year have gone up 13.4%, and that's getting to be pretty typical with the stressed markets. The coastal markets have been particularly hard hit during COVID, and at least on the West Coast, they appear to be making a comeback. New York is not so clear. The other eastern seaboard cities are apparently more clear in terms of recoveries. Hoya gives you, if you are so inclined to look at investment possibilities, they provide to you in the link specific companies, uh, specific tables, where the companies operate geographically, where in the marketplace they operate. For example, some of the REIT's own portfolios that typically include a blend of luxury high-rise, mid-rise, and garden-style apartment communities. Some are in dense urban areas, some are in semi-urban, some are in suburban markets. I find this uh, reference to be incredibly useful for understanding a lot about the apartment and the home marketplace in terms of investments that go beyond investing in one's own house, which in general has been a great investment. But these uh, alternatives that Hoya mentioned are highly liquid. They trade like stocks that most of them trade on the New York Stock Exchange. And many of these companies have been pretty beaten up during COVID, as you might imagine. 
I've been sort of focusing on the residential, but Hoya does have data that reflect the many of the real estate segments, including regional shopping malls, self-storage companies, hotel and lodging ownership companies, industrial companies, cell towers are owned by certain real estate investment trusts, as are manufactured housing, student housing, data centers, and even prisons. So the depth of the real estate investment trust market for investors is really deep and broad. The cumulative returns by sector, some of them have been pretty amazing in the past 10 years. Manufactured homes have gone up about eight times in price, the REIT prices. Cell towers have gone up about five times. REIT is owning data centers about the same. In looking at the ones that are actually not strong recovery companies yet, healthcare is not yet. Also, the large regional shopping center owners may be worth a look. The link provides uh, dividend histories, growth rates, interest rate sensitivities, and some of these companies have arranged for longer-term financing. So as interest rates climb back up, expected over the next year or two, they won't be so much impacted. Overall, overlaying all of the residential is a unique characteristic of the past 10 years. And I have to say it in a negative way. The past 10 years was not a decade of overbuilding. So we are not experiencing the impact of the cycle that we've expected and anticipated and seen for many decades where many housing construction projects are going on, the housing area gets overbuilt, and then there is a cyclical decline. Well, the past 10 years was not one of overbuilding by pretty much any standard. So the health of the multifamilies and the health of the single-family owners, including residential, looks to be pretty solid. The link also provides specific companies that own apartment complexes, their long-term bond rating, their debt ratios. There's just a lot of information. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through this right now because you can see it. And in my view, it's one of the key references that you might want to keep both personal investments in terms of real estate and also personal investments in terms of stock market type vehicles like the REITs. Right now, the important message is that renters will receive an unwelcome surprise with the next renewal, and this unwelcome surprise will be joined by an unwelcome surprise at the supermarket with pricing. Used car prices have already been not welcomed but experienced, and those who are in the renter category, unfortunately, are also generally ones who are in the category of the lower than average or lower than typical family incomes in the United States. So these stresses are bound to increase. And as mentioned in a couple of our recent podcasts, the main beneficiaries of high inflation and apparent economic growth and low interest rates are those who have investment portfolios. And we've seen this many times as more and more wealth shifts to to those who have investments and high-paying jobs. There's been a very substantial shift provided by all data that I've seen in the past 50 years. It shows this shift continues, and we are maybe at the in the beginning innings of this happening again. But The good news is, as I started, we have avoided a recession or a depression, and the interest rates look to continue to be on the low end of historical rates for the next 
year or so. And the economy in terms of jobs that have been responsive to technological change in their professions are looking very healthy. There is actually a lot of good news, and I'll leave you with that. Take care, be careful, and be vigilant. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.